know, turn back my doctors. Why do you go to pain? Do I ask some of you that they may be just to say you understand, the Levitical law said that if a family had, say, three brothers, and two of them were married, and one of them died, the unmarried brother was to step up to the plate and marry that one. And they don't be saying, there's nobody else here. They're all gone. Go to the next slide, the 12th and 13th verses. He says, turn back, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. I even told you I had hope. If I had to get a husband tonight and would then bear more sons, would you wait till they're grown up? Would you refrain from marrying them? Well, no. It's better for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Go to the 14th verse, 15. They lifted up their voices again. Do you see how hopeless this is for everybody involved? I mean, this is really a terrible situation. And, and it says that Orpah, the other daughter-in-law beside Ruth, kissed her mother-in-law. They all were crying. But it says that Ruth held on to her. Apparently, Orpah took off and headed back to home. But look at this 15th verse. And when he says to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should return also after your sister-in-law. Next slide. 16th and 17th verses. But Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave. Return from following you. For where you go, I'll go. And where you lodge, I'll lodge your people or my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. Nothing can separate me from you, David, than death itself. He jumped ahead of me. Could you put that slide back for one minute? I'm sorry. I want you to see this one thing. This is nerve wracking. Ruth, it looks like, from our perspective in this story so far, it looks as if Ruth is. Not only physically, but emotionally displaying to Naomi. What I really want you to see before you go any further is everything that Ruth has let go of in order to cling to Naomi. And I also want you to see something in the 16th verse, it's right in the middle of that big screen you got in front of you today, where she says, Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. For the very first time, for the very first time, you hear Ruth mention Yahweh. You'll see in a minute why this is so important. Now we'll go to the next slide. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I just want you to stop and remember that in the Bible, many things happen where people's names are changed because of circumstances in their life, and Naomi here has changed her name. She said, 
Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mary, which means bitter. She says the reason for that is because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. It's important you see that word Almighty in that Prior to Exodus 3, Exodus 3 is when Moses goes up to the burning bush. Remember that story? Prior to Exodus 3, the only name of God is the Almighty. And Naomi's going all the way back there and she's using this name. And she's not accusing God. She's simply stating the circumstances of her life. Even though the next verse we're about to read is going to tell you, although she's accusing God. Let's go to the 21st verse. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. Why would you call me Naomi? But the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, along with her, to return to the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want to tell you that the key to understanding this whole passage is found in the verse that is in this passage. So I'm going to ask you to put that screen, go to the next slide, we'll put that verse up on the screen. It's Deuteronomy 32. 23, verse 3. God had spoken to Israel and said to them this, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. A long, long time before, Naomi and her husband packed it up because of the famine. A long, long time before they went to the land of Moab. A long, long time before their two sons picked out two women who happened to be people of Moab, God had said that the Moabites were to become permanently excluded from the people of Israel. You got it? Look at what's happened. A family comes along, circumstances change, change. You know, when your husband moved to Moab, the boys grow up, they're looking around, they're not living their lives, they can't keep living these things. They're not supposed to forget Everything is bad in Moab, and lo and behold, they hear this food back in Bethlehem, back in Judah, and so they pack it up to go back after the men have died. And here's Ruth, with now one of those Moabite women, and God has spoken and said, you're going to be excluded. The Moabites. I want to take you to something that Ruth said. Go to that next slide. We have already read it, but I want you to see this. Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. The Lord is among them. But nothing will separate people from Naomi. Express this to you of everybody. Ruth has left it all. Friends, family, her gods, her future. She left everything behind. But I never had a taste of reconciliation with life. What happens if Naomi and Ruth get to the end of time? And all the Bibles are yapping, which 
it says they were stirred, and all the women asked, Is it this day? Okay, what happens when they ask the question? Who is this with you? And they said, Well, this is Ruth. She's from Moab. What happens? What the people in Judah say, No, 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 you're not welcome here. God is gracious 
I'm going to let you in on a little secret. What's the lesson? God is gracious, but his people have not done it to the things he has given them. Amen? I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. God is gracious, but God's people don't have that same reputation. It took an active movement of the people of God to allow Ruth in. And I want to point out to you, I told you that Ruth was Eshenberg. I want you to put it in a different context. Ruth lives with her. <coughs> yeah, yeah, that's Ruth. Where is she? A couple of weeks ago, there was this one point some billion dollar lottery. Do you know how many people risked a lot of all they had in order to try to get that number? During the time that we're talking about here, 
every geographical area had their own gods. That's why Naomi keeps saying, Lord, go back to your people and your gods. Go back to the gods of mine. Now, Naomi, she was a, a, a Jewish person. Her God was Yahweh. But she says, and what does Ruth say to remember mine? But it also this, you need to know this. When Ruth puts her blessing upon the other daughter-in-law with the bag, she says to her, not may your God deal kindly with you. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because they only understood that God transcends geographical boundaries. They only knew that her God could be anywhere at any time. And she says, yeah, you're going back to those gods. You understand my God. That he bless you as you go. And here is Ruth looking at her mother-in-law. What does she say? I'm giving it all up. She says, your God will be my God. She, let me put it more personally. Yahweh, Naomi, Yahweh, your God, Yahweh will now be my God. And, and, and hear me on this. The only way that Ruth You see, Ruth's relationship with Naomi was such that when she said, Yahweh will now be my God, she was basing that on the down payment that had been made in the relationship that she had with her mother-in-law. But I didn't say that in a way that you better. You see, the down payment on who Yahweh was Ruth with Naomi. It was how Naomi acted. It was how Naomi dealt with people. It was how Naomi was. That's the only. That's the only thing she had to see what that God had done for her. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth focuses on two things: Naomi's God and Naomi's. Just because of that, I want to stop and say something to you. Do, do you remember the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? The first was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. It's God and his people. And, and, and just to put this down, to put a few clauses to it for us, let's understand. You may love God and yet have actions that reveal you to be a hypocrite in the 10,000 degree. And I can assure you, people will not be attracted to that. You can love your neighbor by being the best person on earth and never mention God or the promise. People with different organizations do that every day. But it's never going to attract a soul to Jesus. But when you love God, and it is tangibly evident in the way that you live and love others. I can almost guarantee you with certainty that people want, will want to know what that's about and who you know that they don't. That and I will go to the next verse, or the next slide. You see, our Christian relationship 
And, and you know, after I put this slide together, I realized this morning it should have words like Christians should be a down payment on God's promises. Did you see that? Christians should be a down payment on God's promises. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to answer it in your head, in your heart. What kind of a friend are you? Don't just, don't just answer that off the cuff. What kind of a friend are you? Not too long ago, at my mother's funeral, I guess that's what it's up to you to tell. A friend of mine from high school showed up. I had not seen him since the last he graduated. I didn't even know where he was. We're in line, a lot of people. That guy's gonna actually give me an answer. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you know how that goes. It's, it's the life when people walk through there and you just want to pay your respects. He shows up and he says to me, Can you come back and help me a little bit? And I said, Sure, we went back. And they had a little room where preachers sit when they get ready to preach a sermon. I wasn't there to preach, but I knew where the room was. And I went and got him a cup of water and me a cup of coffee and we sat down. And he sat there and he told me about his first marriage and how he cheated on his wife, his second marriage and how he cheated on his wife, and his kids. Was out the door and he heads down to do this, and now that 
down here, the only place he's returned the kingdom to Israel, the question is placed to King David. What are you going to do? We can send out an army and take him out. We can send out an army and defend the city. What do you want us to do? David says, pack my friends. I'm just not thinking about it. Pack my friends. And basically, the story turns out that his son is taken over the kingdom, and David is going off, and he doesn't know where. And he gets out to the edge of the town, and here comes all of his children, and here comes his grandchildren, and all of his people. He left, I think, eight or ten uh, servants in his house to take care of it. And they're coming up, they don't know where. And the night before, a guy had come to the city of Kim, named Kidney I think he and he looks down the road, and here comes Ithai with his children and his grandchildren following behind King David's out of town. And he steps out into the, the way, and he says, Ithai, you just got here. If you stay, Absalom's never going to know the difference. You're a foreigner. You can stay, and you can live, and life can be good, and all can be well. And I want you to look at what Ithai has said to the king. Go to that next slide. Ithai answered the king, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king will be, whether for death or for life, then will I Let me ask you again, next slide. What kind of a friend are you? What kind of a friend am I? I just got here the night before, and I came because of you. I heard how you I am.
The only reason Nathaniel went to Jerusalem is not because he had heard the name of Jesus before he had. It was not because he knew that Israel was looking for a Messiah. They had been looking for a long time. It was not because he saw a miracle or the changing of, of, of stones into bread or anything else. He went because Philip told him, you got to come see this. Are you with me? He went because Philip said, Nathaniel, you got to come see who I found. If it would have been me, Nathaniel would have said, I'm too busy right now. But Philip had obviously built some input into the relationship with Nathaniel enough that Nathaniel saw in Philip the down payment of what he was actually looking for. Are you all with me? Remember that investment I told you about with my son? You won't invest in something unless you trust me. Now I said, I, I trust Jacob implicitly. <laughs> I want you to, to see something that he handed to me this morning. I had you at, at gunpoint at the beginning. Philip and Jesus, Nathaniel and Jesus. It's the relationship. I want you to go to that next slide for me. I don't have it here, so I'm going to have to pretend like you guys pulled it up. Jesus in Matthew 26 has gone to the garden to pray. This is that scene where he's praying and the disciples that were with him fall asleep three times. He finally gets them up and they're leaving. And I want you to look at what, it's on the screen, but I want you to look at what happens. Rise, let us be going. See, my prayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people about the Betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Friend. Go to that next slide. I hope if it's a video, don't go there. I was going to highlight that for a friend, but I can't do it because of technical issues we're having. But I want you to look at what Jesus called Judas. Friend! Friend! He showed up. He's kissed Jesus on the cheek because he's going to sell him to death. Judas, who Jesus has known all along, has been stealing out of the money, comes up into the garden. He's made a plan, he's made a plot, he's been given pieces of silver, he kisses him, and Jesus says, friend. Remember when I said to you that every relationship has a journey? This is an awfully different one. I want you to think about that word friend for a minute. Now you're about to see how able I can be about preparing sermons. Let's go to the next slide. This comes from the Kittle Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. It's not the word friend that Jesus used in Matthew, specifically in relation to 
It's only used three times in the Bible word Just, just a theological dictionary of the Testament. Twelve volumes, this long, very thin pages, every word in the Testament, every Greek word you can ever imagine. Go look at that, and this is what you find about this word. It's only used three times in the New Testament. The Greek is French, but in each case, it is of the implication of a distinct relationship in which there is generosity on the part of one and the use of that generosity on the Jesus walks into the garden. Remember, he's a captain. He says, Teacher, greetings. Kisses him on the cheek. Jesus knew full well what was coming next. And I'm going to tell you what I'd have done. I'd have took that sword that Peter threw, and I'd have been whacking some people. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus Uh, there's two two videos. Said, more than his life, more than his life itself. 
Nothing can change when I have you watch Thomas online. Something clicked and you leave it for him. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater and was forever changed. It was fought hard to make up for the lost years of his family. He also began working with young men who were in the country. Sounds like I'm going to for a few seconds. One of those men is Nick. He didn't really know what's going on. He had no real direction. One bad decision for another. Because of that, now he found himself in trouble with the law. But he never showed him what it looked like to be a real man. Now that is until he met James. James became the first father figure they ever had. He learned about honesty, self control, humility, integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, he publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nick was impacted by James, was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned that Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nick's. Funny how these two people met. Never will. This one.
Yeah. 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 Yeah.